Hi, I'm Kinsey. My name is William. I'm Hannah. And this is That's Absurd. We know he is watching and we know he is listening. Oh my God. He was watching me every single night. May God have mercy on your soul. Serial killer BTK. No bound, tortured, and killed. Possible communication from BTK. Wichita police and city leaders confirming today that a person of interest taken in for questioning yesterday is in fact BTK. And this is That's Absurd. Hi everyone. Hannah will be giving us her story on BTK today. So buckle up because it's going to get real grotesque in here for a little bit. And then we'll try to unwind at the end. User discretion advised. Yeah, let's just do it. For sure. Go ahead and say some, say trigger (laughs) warnings. If BTK is something that you do not want to listen to, don't continue yeah. if you struggle <laughs> with <laughs> like one of those things for the um the um when they do medicine and stuff if you are oh, if you struggle yeah. with here are the side effects yeah. so basically if you struggle with um all of these kinds of things as well as secondhand embarrassment from idiocy just yeah or <laughs> just secondhand embarrassment from us being awkward that's yeah. it Literally. Um, Okay, so starting out, um, BTK's crimes spanned from 1974 to 1991. So heavy hitter for sure. Oh, yeah, this is a heavy hitter. Yeah. Heavy hitter. We are Um, categorizing it as such. Yes. Um, Okay, so his first spree, I would say, it is more of like a mass murder, but his first kill was the Otero murders on January 15th in 1974. Mm. So um, local law enforcement responded to a call on the, uh, to the scene of a gruesome and haunting mass murder. The Otero family consisted of parents Joseph Otero, Julie Otero, along with their five children, Junior Joseph, Charlie, Danny, and Carmen. Not wow. One. So it Um, literally was like a mass murder and a spree just in one. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so all of them, their ages ranged. So while Junior and Josephine were in essentially elementary school, um, who is it? Charlie was in high school and then Danny and Carmen were in middle school. Mm -hmm. So like in the mornings and whatnot, when they would be getting ready for work and school and what have you, there are all their times would be overlapping. Yeah. So that's kind of a big thing to take into account during this. So Charlie and Danny and Carmen, they left for school and everything like that. So when Charlie got home from school, he noticed his dog Lucky outside. I like oh. having dog's name in there because we love dogs around here. Um, so he noticed his dog outside and he thought that this was odd because they never left their dog outside, at least unwatched. And so he entered the house and started noticing things that might have been in disarray a little bit. And one of his siblings, um, I am not positive if it was Danny or Carmen. I am not positive on that one. Um, But they had initially ran up to him and said that his mom and dad were playing a bad trick on them. Oof. And so, so terrible. Yeah. So Charlie ran into the room and 
right off the bat, he found his mother and his father brutally slain, strangled and everything in their bedroom together. And so when he walked in, um, obviously everything had come to pass by then. So, you know, eyes bulging, all of that grotesque stuff that I just will put. Oh, yucky. Can we just, um, like, could you imagine walking into that? No. Yeah. And yeah. me and Hannah accidentally looked at the crime scene photos and it was oh, disgusting. God. Oh, yeah. it was so terrible. Uh, shout out to uh, a little site called Murderpedia. Oh, love this. Just them. be careful if you go on there. I haven't looked to see what other cases might be that like that but there's a i mean there's an interesting transcript on there but just be careful not to scroll too far because that's when you'll get get to the actual crime scene oh what he did was so disgusting yep so okay so he walked in saw everything and after all of this um he was outside and he went up to investigators and said please don't let my two youngest siblings junior and josephine come home and see this they don't need to be around this and that's when he got wind that his siblings his youngest siblings were in the house and were all uh, oh mm-hmm. oh the survivor's guilt yes oh, and no. so he actually went on to and in a multiple i think like two of the documentaries that we had put for recommendations um, he's actually one of the ones in the documentaries that gives his wow. firsthand account of things. Yeah. So he describes that moment as feeling like someone ripped his chest open and tore his heart out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he just has like a gaping hole in his soul now and could like feel their pain and all of that. Um, so once he realized that um, his siblings were in there and everything like that, um, he basically just like was not okay as i it it never actually went into where his other siblings were carmen and danny um i'm assuming that they were taken as soon as possible away from the scene so that way you know i mean how normal can you be after something like that regardless of how little you see you know what i mean yeah um so getting into the actual murders themselves it's truly terrifying um what happened so this day um specifically was the one that would go on to shock the town of wichita but weeks before are to be noted because along with his name binding torturing and and killing he also stalked all of his victims for weeks leading up to every single one and called each victim basically project oh no um yeah so he um leading up to this he had stalked and written down their habits and routines and all of that kind of stuff um so he broke into the otero home after cutting their phone line first and he did not expect the father to be home so mr otero and when he went in there and found mr otero as well as the two younger kids um he said that he had to act quickly yeah or what to do um, so naturally, instead of walking away, he's just gonna kill them all. Like, oh my gosh, that's like the worst. That's like every bat, like terrifying horror movie where the lines are cut and like the electricity yes. is out and like, yeah, right. Oh, well, that's so terrifying. They also started to talk about that during this time of turmoil and paranoia and everything within the community. Every single person would always check their phone lines before they even walked into their houses. Wow. Because they were terrified that 
was that it, was like a precursor to yeah. it was pre-cell phones so you know well yeah so landlines so they can do that and snip snip and you're just cut off from thank god for cell phones you know. this might be jumping forward a little bit was but was that one of his like signature things that he did with other people in their homes or um, you know so it didn't go into a super detailed account of every single one i know that many of them did have the phone lines cut okay mm -hmm. Um, so he basically though, when he went in there, <clears throat> it being his first kill, mm. he describes the fact that he didn't know how much strength it would take to strangle someone. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So initially he strangled Julie, the mother and Josephine to unconsciousness and essentially just went around in a circle because he had to backtrack to each one of them to actually kill them. Oh, because he didn't- So can you fucking- He's a big guy, right? He, I mean, I, he looks like- I don't know. I he mean, like a, a, a regular dude. Yeah. Like, not like super buff or anything like that. Just like a regular like a dude. Dennis Raider. Yeah. Yeah, look it up. Because I didn't really do any of the- um, He looks like a little gross weasel to me. Free. Yeah. He looks just, uh, he's just disgusting. I literally, when I was watching one of the uh, documentaries, like they panned in on a picture of him for like, I swear to God, a solid minute. And I was like, can you just take it off the fucking screen? Like, I don't want to see this. Ew, that's so gross. Uh, oh, uh, how terrible. He yeah, right? strangled them to them passing out and then he has to go back mm -hmm. and they have to go through that again. Yeah. And that is absolutely terrifying and i believe it was junior who he strangled him and in the way in which he strangled him was not each of these was not a strangulation by his hands he huh. did them via um some kind of rope mm -hmm. or twine or cable or something like that and so one one of the things that he would do is put a bag over their head and then secure rope around the bag right okay so i yeah. believe it was junior that he put a bag over his head and then junior was able to break a hole in the bag yeah. with his teeth and so raider then took the bag off put a t-shirt onto his head and then put the bag back on and secured it and investigators later also found imprints in the room suggesting that raider sat there and watched him die oh. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, like a chair or like yes, oh imprints of a chair. Yeah. The the depth of the imprints showed or signified that he did sit there and watch this guy or this little boy. Um, he was nine years old. This boy was. That's so yeah. disgusting. It is. It's just well, he he was a sadist, so yeah. he got his he kicks was. off of suffering and torture yeah yeah so uh once uh the parents once both the parents were dead um which once he backtracked to julie the mother um the second time that he was uh strangling her to death um she actually said to him um <clears throat> may god have mercy on your soul Chilling. wow doing and um so he ended up murdering them and junior and josephine he took her to the basement and hung her by a pipe in the basement and when they found her um 
She was hung, like I said, from a pipe. She was partially undressed, and they found semen in the vicinity. Um, oh, yep. Uh, it's just like yeah. it. It makes you like hollow in your stomach. It's just disgusting. That's, that's um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, um, anyways, moving on from that. Um, they once again i mean they they struggled this entire time to land any incriminating evidence on him now it's mentioned later that you know the dna it becomes a huge thing later on um and it talks about in the 80s during his spree in the 80s it was something that they knew was in the future but back in the 70s it was not even a concept that they grasped Mm -hmm. so I mean, later on, we'll find out that um, they had the foresight to save all of this evidence. Um, wow, yeah. For that fucking reason, I have no idea how they had that foresight, but they did. Um, <clears throat> hopes that maybe one day they'll be able to use it at some point, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And um, in the, the other documentary, I believe it was, it was Confessions of a Serial Killer. Um, the entire documentary was basically um, spun around a phone interview that Dr. Catherine Ramsland, Ramsland had with Raider. Um, and he talks about the fact that he has always had a demon inside of him. He calls it Factor X. And in this situation, this day, January 15th, 1974, was when it finally exploded. He says it was like a volcano and it finally exploded. Wow, wow. just blame but, it on something oh, outside your yeah. own disgusting Y'all, and- This is not even like scratching the surface of oh. his depravity or his deceitfulness and just his disgusting, disgusting ways. Um, okay, so four months later, four months later was uh the um april 4th 1974 police were then called to the bright residence um catherine bright was a 20 year old 21 year old college student who was returning home one night with her brother Mm. Um, and they came in and they found their house had been broken into oh gosh just imagine this i'm getting really close to my speaker now you walk into your house it's pitch black inside it's pitch dark inside whatever yeah and all of a sudden like you fucking hear you're greeted by fucking dennis raider sitting oh. there and he notoriously said to each of his victims um after a certain point he would say um what would he say i'm a weird dude Ew. yeah like fucking like what the hell so they got in there and he bound them and put them in two separate rooms Ugh. and um in mind hunters it which mind hunters is kind of hard to quote because you never know you know it's like a show that they obviously had to dramatize mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to quote but in mind hunters they talked about how um raider made Ka- or, um catherine bright's brother tie her up um and he intentionally tied her binds looser um but we don't know if that's actually true or not so we're just gonna put it in there i guess add it for drama i don't know um so anyway so we know though that kevin 
uh, her brother, was able to free himself. And when he was able to free himself, he went to confront Raider. Um, and he ended up getting shot in the head multiple times. Oh my gosh. And miraculously, he was able to escape. <clears throat> After being shot um, in the head? Mm-hmm. Yep, I believe the first one grazed his head. And the second one went into the side of his head. But there's, um, you know, there's certain points in the brain that if it's disrupted, it's not going to, it's not going to disrupt your actual cognitive function. Right. Interesting. Um, it, yeah. I mean, it's still traumatizing, obviously. Well, right. I don't want to get shot in the fucking head. Um, but. <clears throat> no, no, no one wants to be shot in the head. <laughs> Literally. Um, okay. So he is able to escape and he goes to try to find help. So when wow. Raider realizes the situation, he moves quickly, veering from his intended MO and stabbing Catherine multiple times until she dies. So this was a big factor in why they were never able to actually connect those murders because the MO was so different, mm -hmm. um, which the obviously was different too. Yeah. And that was, that was something that is discussed later, why so much of this it was so hard to pinpoint because he never had a set pattern mm -hmm. like yeah. a lot of serial killers will have they'll have mo's yes but they will have a set pattern a set victim a set type age right. yeah. um so he moved quickly stabbing her multiple times um her brother when he came to he was gravely injured but when he came to he was able to give a description of raider Though it was wow. super vague and something that they couldn't really take anywhere, especially at the time, which was, uh, quote, a tall white male. Okay. So. Which per Google search, he is 5'11". Yeah. So he is pretty tall. He's well, because you're like. Well, I am like. <laughs> you're like a little nugget. So. <laughs> anything really above five two has told me so <laughs> um so <clears throat> so similar to the otero murders once again he had been stalking her for weeks and planned to murder her although initially the murders were never connected due to this fact mm -hmm. he later confessed to killing her um interesting and described the murder in detail yeah um, so this was 1974. So he went on a hiatus and he went completely dark from the remaining portion of 1974, 1975, and 1976 and 77. Jesus, I didn't wow. know. I actually typed it out and I didn't realize how many years that is. That's three years of, yeah, on a, what are they, what, are they, what is it usually called? Not on a break, but. We were on a break. No. <laughs> That's friends. No, a hiatus. It, it's not a hiatus either. I'm not going to think about it. But anyway, yeah. the fact that, like, most serial killers can't do three long periods of time in between yeah. kills. Well, it's said that during these periods, um, which I talk about a little bit, like, down, but in these periods of time, he would call them cool-down periods. And uh, he would actually yeah. dress himself up in these clothes and wear a mask and take polaroid pictures of himself in bound up in these positions um as ways to almost fantasize that he was a victim oh good lord or was victims sick 
Um, and then he also would have what he deems hotel room parties, um, which he would go to hotel rooms. And I mean, essentially, uh, you can fill in the blanks, but he would have magazine clippings and like, oh, God. he would take all of his trophies that he got from his victims and lay them out and just Ew. have all these sexual fantasies and all this kind of stuff. Um, so and it's also, it's also believed that, um, well, his son was born in 1975. Mm. So this was another big thing is that he was, he basically fit a stereotype and fit every stereotype so he was a family man he was this that and the other oh and so he took off all this time because his son was born wow so he had kind of like fucked crazy yeah so like, he had to like satiate himself somehow because he had a son that he was yeah didn't have time to just go stalk people for weeks and weeks and weeks right yeah and because he had a kid like, like what the fuck i just um Anyways, so um, after that hiatus or um, whatever it was that Kenzie was insinuating. No, I can't think of it. Maybe it is um, a long period or something like that. Another super dark murder. I mean, all of them are dark and just absolutely terrible. But this one specifically on March 17th, 1977, um, it was, who was it? Shirley Vian? I believe I'm saying that right, Vian. Um, she was once again same mo bound, tortured, and killed. <clears throat> but this time, her five-year-old son witnessed the entire thing. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, essentially, uh, she was homesick one day with her kids. She had she had three kids, and um, she sent her son. Which we have to remember that this was 1977. So don't come at us for this one. Or come at her. Um, she yeah. sent her five-year-old son to the store to get her some soup. So he's okay. walking back. And he gets stopped by a stranger. A man. Oh, and no. the man shows him a picture and asks the kid if he knows who this woman is. So the kid at this time, being a good little boober, knew to stay away from strangers. So he said he didn't and proceeded home. So this wow. man shows up back at the house and forces entry into the house um, and says that he's BTK and he's a strange man. Ugh. Okay, so he makes the woman, the mom, put toys and blankets in the bathroom. And the way I visualize this in my head is that the bathroom is sort of like a Jack and Jill bathroom. Mm -hmm. Is he takes one doorknob and secures it to the sink. Okay. Uh, and they open, obviously, like... Out. Yeah, they open out. So he secures the. Um, sorry, I don't know why that just like completely. I'm like looking around at my doors in my house right now, trying to <laughs> figure this <laughs> out. Open out. Yeah. So like, if you visualize oh. it, he secured the doorknob to the sink so that they couldn't push it open. Okay. Okay. If you can visualize that, if all of our yeah, visualize that. Um, okay, and then the, the other door, he pushed a bed up against the door, but unbeknownst to him. He left enough room for a crack. And oh, in this no. crack is where this five-year-old boy, Steve Relford, was able to sit there and saw his mother being bound, tortured, and killed. Mm -hmm. And after when uh, BTK left, um, the little boy went out there and tried to get the ropes off. But he 
I mean, he's in the documentaries as well. And he talks about, it. he's like, I was this five-year-old kid and I wasn't strong enough and I couldn't get them off. And it's absolutely terrible. And he goes on to talk about how, um, as he grew up when he was 13, I believe it said he was diagnosed with like, I think he said 27 different personalities. Yeah. That's like some Dexter stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, traumatic events like that it's it i mean this is a little bit of a sidebar as well because um you know but a lot of times traumatic events like that uh your mind will inadvertently create those different personalities to try mm -hmm. to make sense of whatever traumatic event took yeah. place and so yeah. your mind goes to those places to almost um escape. like escape yeah, yeah. um wow. okay. So after that, after he was diagnosed, um, he went into um, he, a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol, which, I mean, you can tell, but like, I mean, God bless him, literally. I couldn't yeah. imagine that. And I couldn't imagine um, being, I mean, just, just how, like the kind of person you have to be to sit there and, and literally say put some toys in there for the kids and then like what the fuck they actually brought some toys and stuff that he used as a way to keep the kids occupied to uh during his proceedings mm. uh, they had it all set up as part of the prosecution but we'll get into that in a little bit wow um okay so during this time also too um during that hiatus break um, I forgot to mention that his wife had said to him that she was fearful due to BTK targeting <gasps> women. And he said, and I quote, it's okay, you're safe. Oh. Mm. Yeah, because I'm him. Yeah. Oh, I am my him. God. That little, that phrase has a whole new. That's so disgusting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, and and still at this point, investigators decided to keep a lid on this um, in hopes of not inciting fear into the community. So what had already not been known, he still wasn't in the papers and stuff. Yeah. And later we'll come to find out that this was one of his biggest, like, what the fucks? Why am I not in the public eye kind of deal? So in December, on December 8th of 1997, so same year, um, he murders um, Nancy Fox. And that was seven months later. And he, this is the murder that he actually called in. So um, she was found with the same MO, bound, tortured, and killed. And police also found semen on one of her nightgowns. Um, and basically insinuating once again that he had um, found sexual gratification in watching her die. Uh, yeah, and so briefly after that, like I said, he called in his own, um, the murdered. Um, wow, because so he just had to be famous. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean that's what I'm saying. And it and it literally he only gets more and more pushy, almost you could say, with being in the spotlight and all this stuff. Um, so an interesting bit um, in 1979. Um, Anna Williams did not re return home one night. Um, so this is April 28th, 1979. I don't think I said that. Um, when she was found, um, when she did return home, she found many of her personal belongings missing and a poem written by BTK. Oh. And, and I quote, oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? And the poem 
goes into what they would have done and uses tons of imagery and all of this stuff to describe what he would have done. And um, it was come to be known that he was hiding in her closet that night. And oh. he just didn't return home for whatever reason. Well, thank God. So yeah. Closets. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, what? could you fucking imagine? Could you imagine, oh. like, just going on knowing? No, oh. I would literally would have to buy 17 extra locks for all of my doors and windows. I would never turn the lights off in any of my closets. Yeah. I mean, literally, I I mean, I have a problem with it now. I was on the phone with, uh, I was on the phone earlier, and I was like, I mean, I feel like I need to, like, go to church or something. Church myself. <laughs> a little bit after <laughs> this situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, okay, so, <clears throat> moving forward to now, another break. Um, his next murder was Marnie Hedge on April 27th, 1985. Wow. And it should be noted again here that his uh, daughter was born. Um, I believe it was in, I think I, I um, noted it somewhere in here, but she was born within that time period as well. So here you have him taking breaks each time one of his children are born. Oh, we, like, thank pause? God. Can we like pause for the fact that like, he's got a whole ass family, like wife yeah. and kids. It's like, Bundy, yeah. if I found out that my husband was BTK or Bundy, Bundy mm -hmm. I might actually just go insane standing right there. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, one of the documentaries also has accounts from his daughter. <gasps> and interestingly, oh, in the documentaries, you know how they will, when they bring up a new person, they'll put their name and their you know, title at the bottom. Mm -hmm. They do not call her daughter of BTK or daughter of De Dennis Rader. They call her a former resident. Wow. Well, she, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, and she, she talks a lot about how, um, she says that, um, she doesn't even know, like she knows her father and she knows of BTK, but she did not know BTK. And she says, and this actually just gave me chills, but she says, BTK is someone that if you knew you were you would die. And so she said if they had known or had found out that he is BTK, they'd probably be dead. Wow. Ugh. So she says that she didn't she doesn't know BTK. And it's just it's I just mean, absolutely wild. I um, mean, yeah, how do you just go from it's your dad and then finding out that he's this completely complete stranger basically? You don't actually really know him. He's your and dad. Just, it just baffles my mind that, I mean, like I could, pro I could probably see how she had absolutely no clue because, like I said earlier, he he basically fit every single stereotype that you could, you know, put on and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, so I could see how she wouldn't know, but at the same time, they talk about how the investigators just came to her house and told her, and she like went into a state of shock and just had no idea at all. And yeah. it just it just blows my mind that either he was so um he was so secretive about everything and hid everything so well and all this kind of stuff or he was just so like didn't care that he yeah. thought about it. Yeah. You know? He probably um, just he honestly probably enjoyed the thrill of having this double life. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, probably. And also too, there's a um, there's a phenomenon um, that I believe um, that um, forensic psychologist, the professor Catherine uh, Ramsland, she talks about. It's called narcissistic immunity, mm-hmm. and so they start to believe that they're immune to they're like, like above the law. They're never going to get yeah. caught. They're yeah, all of this stuff. So um, Marnie Hedge, uh, she was fifty three. And she was actually a neighbor of BTK and his family. Mm-hmm. And his daughter recounts moments when they would go on walks and see Marnie Hedge outside. And they would wave at her, have talks, all of that kind of stuff. Normal. And yeah. later on, after she found out, she like relived some of these moments and was like, holy shit. Like, she was strangled and she was found seven houses down or how many houses down it was. Yeah. And so all of these things started clicking into place. But it took them telling her that for her to have these click. Yeah. And him going on walks and saying hi to her was probably half of his stalking her part. Correct. Yeah. Like the yeah. weeks leading up to it and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so same type of MO. She was strangled. Um, this time she was strangled by her own pantyhose. And he wow. was again found partially nude and partially com- decomposed in a ditch. Oh. Damn. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Um, So this one, again, was, I mean, obviously, I just mentioned that there was that break. Mm. Uh, And so whenever they found her, there was talks um, and all of them discounted BTK completely. They said, no, this isn't him. Wow. This isn't his doing, even though the MO pretty much matches. The only difference is that she's found in a ditch instead of her house. Yeah. Um, Everyone else found in their houses? Yes. Okay. So far, yes. But we will come to find that um, he starts to get... um, I don't really want to say sloppy because I feel like that's not... More confident? Yeah, he starts to get more confident. It starts to kind of be like... You know. um, Starts to push the the boundaries, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, So moving forward to then September 16th of 1986... Vicky Wagerly was 28 years old and she was found once again strangled to death in a room next to where her toddler was playing. Mm. Uh, he just loves the family people. He does. And and I don't I don't think that that was part of his whole thing is making sure that they were family. I think he just didn't care. That's which is, yeah. could be arguably worse. You know, like he doesn't care if he traumatizes a child. He doesn't care um, if they see it. Um, All he's concerned about is the kill and making sure he's uninterrupted by feeding them toys or some shit. It's just, it's it's all around. It's just disgusting. So um, initially fingers pointed to her husband because her husband came home and the way they found her body is they found it so if you walk into a room and the door you walk in and the bed is not against the wall but it's like in the middle of the room she was found on the opposite side of the bed so initially if you glanced in the room you couldn't see her okay mm-hmm. wait are you, is are you oh. picking are you yeah. picking up putting down william is yeah yeah so like if you were just walking to the room she would be not in the visible she was on the other side of the bed where and you like, might have to like walk, walk around there. Oh, yeah. uh, so like, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, correct. Like Ken's your room, 
Oh, my please. I almost said my room, too, and I, and I stopped. Uh, yeah, I know. Oh, I, I saw it so quick. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so you can figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be, after the show, you're going to be like, We're going to be okay, rearranging so the room. We need to rearrange the room. Let's visualize this. Um, okay, so that's where she was found. So initially, her husband came home, looked around the house, and once again, this is 1986, so he originally thought that she ran to the store for something. Yeah. Yeah. So probably like 20 minutes past or something like that. And then he found her. And so <gasps> fingers actually pointed at him. But there was no there was no incriminating evidence. There was nothing to signify anything. So the case went, I mean, cold. At yeah. um, because at this point, they still hadn't started to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, moving on then to uh, January 19th of 1991, Dolores Davis, who is 63, um, she lived alone and she was found decomposed under a bridge in Park City, Kansas. Wow. So again, we have a brief little hiatus of about five years right there. Um, wow. <clears throat> so she was, she was initially reported missing by her boyfriend who came to her house to find the back door was broken into by a cinder block that had been thrown through and the door was shattered. Okay. Okay, so that's a little bit different, once again, from how other ones have been described. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing than that, um, what would you call it? That intense, I guess you could say. Force entry. Um, yeah. So, um, also the sheets were missing from her bed and her shoes were um, still there, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he reported her missing and they, like I said, they found her decomposed under a bridge in Park City, Kansas. They had come to find out that she had been moved post-mortem in her own car and taken to Christ Lutheran Church, which is just weird, terrible. Weird. So she, yeah. So she was taken to the church and then um, after that, Raider then dumped her at the... Um, at the bridge yeah. and took photos before she was later found oh. and when they found her they found her with a the porcelain mask wow mm -hmm. they found her with the porcelain mask next to her so how you could imagine this working out is that he killed her mm -hmm. at her and moved her body post-mortem in her car to the church he then went back to the house to clean up all of his stuff Okay. And then he went back to the church to pick her up and then dumped her. And when he returned, then he put the mask on because he still wanted to get that sexual gratification. So he put the mask on her and um, fill in the blank. I don't understand why he would take her to a church. So he, yeah, I think that, you know, you could argue and say it's because he needed a place to put her while he cleaned and stuff like that and figured out the rest. However, as disgusting as he is, you could honestly just say that he was just fucked and decided that he wanted to take her to a place that's supposed to be- Just like taunting, here. kind of? That's wild. Yeah. yeah. Ew. Um, so now um, in 1986, so we're backtracking a little bit, mm -hmm. um, just like the Otero murders and um, whatnot, they extracted DNA from under Vicki Wagerly's fingernails. Mm -hmm. um, so this, they kept these, and this is once again talking about the forethought that they had to do this. So they kept all of that, 
And um, basically they knew, like I said earlier, they knew that all that testing was going to be in time. So they kept it all. Um, so they, again, kept DNA from this situation as well. So now we'll move into his relationship with law enforcement through all of these things. Um, it should be noted that the Davis murder was his last known murder at the time. Okay. So now we get into the real, just like his taunting and his mind and all of that kind of stuff. So throughout his murders, um, BTK, it's very well known that he communicated with police and media throughout the entire decade two decades how many decades three decades yeah he, he also named himself yep yeah what, That's what, like, it's just, what the fuck um so <laughs> throughout he had this communication with them and he used it as a way to taunt them so those letters ended up being a huge source of frustration for law enforcement and facilitated tons of fear and paranoia paranoia throughout all of this so once those letters and stuff once they realized that they needed to start releasing stuff and they needed to make people aware it just all the fear and all of that paranoia just elevated exponentially because uh -huh. i feel like anytime you see first account like typewritten or what you know typewriters that's how they did it back then Mm -hmm. um, what you know anytime you hear the words straight from their mouth it's just it's like chilling bit yeah so uh okay so where am i at they yeah so they so law enforcement struggled during all of this um they did not know how to create a profile because like i said not about nine times out of ten or maybe like eight times out of ten Every single characteristic was in opposition to what was so far known of serial killers. Mm -hmm. So, like, any part that they assumed, you know, for instance, uh, being introverted and keeping to yourself and all this stuff was basically, like, spat on by Raider. He, yeah. he basically complete opposite <clears throat> during those times. So, um, and it worked for him. So... That's what um, basically fueled um, new research coming forward that is basically um, like, okay, we can't just look at this kind of person. We need to start looking at things that don't necessarily fit the mold that we have in our minds, but instead on ones that we would never assume. Yeah. You know, it kind of made them start looking elsewhere. Yeah. So um, now um, I there were about six big points of his communication with law enforcement so it began first in october 1974 so backtracking to right after the otero and nancy fox so there was an article published in the local newspaper and it talks about three jailed sex offenders that were claiming credit for those murders and he said oh fuck no and decided to contact the wichita eagle and um, basically said that he left a letter in the library, in a book in the library, and it was a chilling account of um, the Otero murders and talks about positions, locations, methods of killing, etc. for each victim. And this is also when he would deem himself BTK for his MO of bind, torture, kill. So that's like where you know, he just, just uh, shot for his clean Yeah. For being uh, a disgusting human being. Yeah. So nine weeks later, after the murder of Nancy Fox, Cake TV receives communication again from BTK. And he literally says, and I quote, 
How many do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or some national attention? Do the Whoa. He said, do the cops think all those deaths aren't related? Wow. And, yeah. In the letter, he goes on then to talk about what I had previously mentioned as factor X. Um, so then he also added in um, a graphic poem about Nancy Fox's murder and a oh. draw. And no, he a poem. He is yeah. Dude, th this guy with his fucking poems, I swear. Um, and he says seven more and and many more to go. Wow. That is... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, then on January 15, 2004, um, it was the 30th anniversary of BTK. And um, a local criminologist spoke to the newspaper stating his students have never heard of the serial killer, never heard of BTK. And this, uh, this basically made him uh, angry because obviously we now know that he's basically starving for the media attention and the publicity. So when he found out that people didn't know who he was, he's like, okay, well. Um, he began communicating again with the Wichita Eagle, which was the local newspaper. Um, he first sent a package containing Polaroids of Vicki Wagerly, along with an ID that had never been recovered. So y'all remember how I said that initially it was thought to be the husband and the mm. case that ran cold. Well, at this point, this um, took the husband's name from the suspect list, basically. Yeah. And it also showed that, yeah, like this murder is also... He's connecting the dots now. So desperate. He just yeah. literally connected yeah. all of the dots for the yeah. police for them. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And some of these also, he, he goes in to talk about um, certain serial killers and, like, all of this stuff. It's just... Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's name dropping all of his... Oh, name dropping like crazy. Um, so, after, after this, then they assembled a new task force. So, this is now the second task force that they have assembled in hopes of catching BTK. Um, and of course, they immediately honed in on DNA um, because like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, dear God, I'm just short-circuited for a second. Um, it was not at the forefront of evidence in the early days of the murders. Um, so they began doing their thing with the task force and everything like that. Um, there was another communication that was found in 2004. Um, it was basically, it was just sitting in a, sitting in a park chilling a civilian saw it found it and it was a bag containing nancy fox's driver's license along with a doll with the exact same bondage and knots used to kill her wow the murder detailing the entire thing wow. so um and i just want to mention here little sidebar because he's just so fucking weird um these dolls were in fact barbies and like i can't help but think that he like took them from his daughter Oh, he for and, sure did. And that's like so fucked. Okay. I, yeah. Um, and I'm also starting to get also the pattern that his thing, he would take these so-called quote unquote treasures from his victims. And I would start to get the idea that driver's license were part yeah. of his treasures that he liked to take. Um, yeah. So the on May. Treasures. Yeah, it's disgusting. And I saw photos, um, I believe it was in a documentary as well, um, when they talked about where they found certain things in this house. And it was not in like 
you know how they would have those ceilings that you could open? Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't be in places like that. It was literally underneath drawers, like, in hallways. What? Where, like, if somebody was in the house just, like, you know, Some wanting to do deep clean or something like that, they'd find that shit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. His wife could have found that. Yeah. Well, also, we know that he was caught by his wife multiple times during his, quote-unquote, cool-down phases. Oh, you know, like break where he would do, yeah. Where yeah. he would take pictures of himself and whatnot. Ugh. Say that's a red flag you should probably yeah, yeah. yeah. One time, you know, one time is like, what the fuck? And two times, it's just like, oh, fuck, no. Yeah. Actually, you I'm, know what? I circle back. One time, I'd one be time like, no. I'm out of there. Like, <laughs> oh? I'd be like, no, you know what? That's a... That's a way, way too much. Yeah. Too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then on May 4th, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I had to. Uh, anyways, so a second letter arrived at Cake TV containing thir- a 13 chapter list. So they were chapter titles as well as a homemade word search. Okay, y'all, this is wild. And I have the chapter titles, so I'm going to read them. Um, chapter one was a serial killer is born. Chapter two, Dawn. Chapter three, Fetish. Chapter four, Fantasy World. Chapter five, The Search Begins. Chapter six, BTK's BTK Haunts, which he was just a fucking idiot with his grammar. So excuse me if I don't <laughs> even know what I'm reading right now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> chapter seven, PJs. Chapter eight, Mo ID Ruse. What? Uh, insert confused face um chapter nine treasured memories chapter 10 final curtain call chapter 11 dusk and chapter 12 will there be more what are the what was the point of these chapters he's basically like hey okay i'm the shit if you want to write a book here i started it for you i've got your chapter titles because he was obsessed with the publicity and obsessed with the spotlight and wanted to get all this he he okay so remember how he talks about how they all literally thought that they were doing something for society or or giving something he literally thought that he was doing something and people would want to like want to talk about him want to do all this stuff right um okay so then btk began leaving clues all over the place um, and each of these most consisting, most consistently always had treasures in them and Barbies that reflected his murders. What? That's so disgusting. Also, yeah. the crossword, was it a crossword puzzle or was it a cipher? Ooh, okay, so I'm glad that you, you just made me, you just said, hey, hold the phone, bring it Hard. back. Going back. No, and that's it. Okay. So, because this is something interesting that I did want to mention. So, the homemade word search, it was a word search um, more than it was a cipher. However, um, I did see pictures of it and it looks like it could be a little bit of both. Now, was it intentionally supposed to be a cipher? I don't know. Was he an idiot and like accidentally did something like that? Well, I'd only ask that because Zodiac did ciphers. So, he's definitely a fucking copycat. Yes. And that was one of the ones that he mentioned a lot. Ugh. Oh my god. So, literally. Um, so, actually, <clears throat> in that word search site, or whatever we want to call it, um, he actually put his address in it. Oh, what? Literally? I can't. He literally put his address in it. But the way that he did it was, okay, so, once again, I'm going to have everybody picture something in their head. 
so he had okay so a bunch of letters and words and shit right we all know what a fucking word search looks like okay um he put 622 and then drop down to the bottom he put a two-digit number okay right underneath it okay or maybe it was a number and a letter right and it was so 622 and then drop down to the letter and the number and the number was zero and so what that translated to is his literal address which was 6220 and he had the word address somewhere else in the word search however at this point the police and everybody were so used to his grammatical errors that they discounted it as him just not knowing how to use a typewriter or speak Um. i mean you know <laughs> i mean it wouldn't surprise me because he sounds like a a a lunatic but b just like stupid also yeah but like um, who puts their address in a crossword or a, not a crossword a word search if you're trying to be i don't know um okay so eventually police and the fbi decided to play along with btk's game and play it better mm. dot, dot, dot. They were tired of always being one step behind, so they decided on a um, the face of basically the face of any any news reportings that they did. They used one person, and that was Kenny Landwehr. Um, he was the face, like I said, of the BTK case. So every time he would go on air to report a message or, or something like that, each of those messages were tailored so that they weren't necessarily for the public, but they were for BTK. So his actions did exactly what they were expected to do for somebody like as narcissistic as BTK was. And he almost, he became to believe that Landwehr was a friend of his. So this then leads us to the infamous floppy disk situation where he literally asked them, I can communicate via floppy disk. If you don't trace it, be honest. Be honest. Yeah, literally said be honest. And gave them a code word to put into the newspaper should they want this communication. So. Oh, be honest, please, please be honest with me, my please. friend at the police station. Like, you didn't kill ten people. Be oh honest. Oh my god. Uh, um. Okay. Idiot. So the forensic investigators then traced the floppy disk back back to a computer that was used at Christ Lutheran Church. <laughs> okay, so back to um, church. Literally. <laughs> Um, and it was used by an individual named Dennis. Lo and behold, the president of the church is named Dennis Rader. So when uh, Rader was first interviewed shortly after his arrest, he literally asked, why did you trace it? Oh, because you he killed was people. So, and he was so yeah, and Kenny Landwehr literally said, actually, oh my God, in the video, he gets quiet for a second. like. Kind of like that moment where he's like, did he just fucking ask me that? <laughs> and then he goes, because I wanted to catch you? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. Like, uh, is that a good answer? Question mark dot 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 LOL. Yeah. Like, like why? Literally. I think that I wasn't going to. Also, yeah. let's loop back to the fact that he was the president of the church he left the dead body in. Or- yes. Yeah. And uh, there was a situation where the... Um, is the it church, like before we move on it's the same church you left the yes yeah, yeah. like yeah so uh basically um he there was a situation where all of this stuff that he was sending to cake tv 
him and um, some people, some members of the church went on a tour of Cake TV Studios and he was part of that tour. Oh so God. he was sending all this communication and literally went there. Like, what the fuck? Oh I couldn't imagine their thoughts when they found out about that shit. He literally is the most like, I'm never going to get caught. Like, yeah. Literally, the if you had to look up narcissistic immunity, his face would be right next to it. I feel like I actually don't put it because we already established it's fucking creepy. Him and Bundy. I mean, God. Yeah. Um, so after this, um, he was immediately put under 24 hour surveillance surveillance because at this point they didn't have enough to hold him. So once again, we talked about yeah. how the DNA and stuff, they didn't have enough to hold him. So, um, you know, at this point it was more so like hearsay stuff. So they put him under surveillance and worked diligently to, pr to provide that, irrefutable proof um so uh where is it so they were able to uh get all that dna that they had extracted from all of those crime scenes <clears throat> and then they also got a warrant for um kansas state university's uh, medical records because his daughter had gone there and she had gotten a pap smear and so they got her dna and wow. so <clears throat> they were able to get a match from that and uh, so basically, ultimately, BTK's obsession with taunting law enforcement played a significant role in his capture um, as his ego and desire for attention led him to make mistakes that would lead to his downfall. So once again, um, you know, it's just all about that narcissistic immunity. Mm. Um, so then this then leads to his arrest. So on February 25th, 2005, he was arrested while driving near his home in Park City, Kansas. Once secured and put in the back seat, an officer asked, uh, Mr. Raider, do you know why you're going downtown? To which he replied, I have my suspicions. Oh, God. Um, the fuck? Uh, like, bro, do you have your suspicions? I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so after this, then, um, Wichita Police Department, uh, KBI, FBI, and the ATF, they then searched his household vehicle along with his church his office at City Hall and the Park City Library. They found loads of his quote-unquote treasures that he kept from victims, boxes of photos he took of himself in women's clothes and self-restrained, um, like I mentioned during his cool-down periods. Um, he, uh, they also found photo clippings of women and young women in magazines. Um, additionally, shortly after his arrest, Raider disclosed where to find his mother load, as he called it, which was quite literally a file cabinet in his city hall office filled with one inch to three inch binders stocked with research on each victim their habits their routines drawings of how he fantasized it to be done etc oh y'all cannot see it but my jaw is to the floor literally it is to the floor i actually just looked it over over at him and i said oh my god i just dropped a bomb yeah so <clears throat> it was they were shocked with how organized all of this was yeah um, because someone that you know is so gruesome and grotesque about their murders and then they find him with binders and binders and binders full of this shit and he also had mentioned that he would take these binders with him when he would go stalking his his victims or his projects as he called them which what? further solidifies the fact that he had absolutely zero empathy and literally saw them all as objects. Not that here. is wild. That is so gross. Uh, literally wild. Um, okay, so moving on to the legalities. 
Um, so on February 28th, so just how many days is that? Three days after his arrest, he was charged with 10 counts of first degree murder. So um, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, they, they get charged with something, but they have to bring forth both a formal charging document as well as, you know, they have to go to court essentially. Right. So yeah. uh, he was charged with it, but at this point he was not sentenced. So he was charged. And then on March 1st, 2005, the judge set Raiders bail at a whopping $10 million wow. and appointed a public defender to represent him, which this situation would be um, considered a first appearance um, for him. And that's just something that's really quick. It's not it's not anything long while he waits for his trial and everything like that. So on May 3rd, the judge entered a plea of not guilty on behalf of Raider as he did not speak at all during his arraignment. Wow. Okay. Um, but then on June 27th, the day the trial was set to begin, he changed his plea to guilty. He proceeded to describe in heinous murders, his heinous murders, murders, and Jesus, why was that word so hard to pronounce? <laughs> and gruesome detail and made no apologies and showed no remorse. Some say as he acted as though he was describing the weather or his favorite book. That's how nonchalant he was about all of this. That stuff. is now, so yeah. So now, obviously, y'all know that um, you know if if anybody is going to sit there before they take any kind of plea. You know, the judge will be like, are you doing this on your own volition kind of deal? Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of how that entire thing happened. So then following his plea of guilty, Massachusetts psychologist Robert Mendoza was hired um, by Raider's court-appointed counsel. And he conducted a psychological evaluation of Raider to see if the insanity defense might be viable. Now, literally why they decided to do this after he pled guilty i'm not entirely sure what's it seems a little bit counterintuitive backwards um, well from not? all well from all of the crime podcasts and all that kind of stuff they sometimes do that to make sure that he's not in jail and then like applies for like a mistrial or uh, you know, like all of those kind of like things or yeah. like if he's trying to get it so if like the court does not do their due diligence on yeah knocking out all of those it like actually could checking come every back. Box. yeah checking every box or else it'd be a mistrial and then you do have a situation where he could literally walk free because yeah. didn't do their job yeah i mean that makes sense completely um so then yeah i mean i basically i basically wrote that he conducted it to see if the in insanity defense might be viable so like they pretty much knew that it was bullshit but they were just going to see if it was something that could be held you know yeah yeah um, okay, he is a fucking lunatic, but yeah. he's not so, clinically insane. Yeah, right. So uh, when they, uh, so it says that uh, Mendoza diagnosed him with narcissistic, antisocial, and obsessive compulsive personality disorders, and believes that Ra Raider has a grandiose sense of self, mm -hmm. a belief that he is special, complete lack of empathy, and pathological need for attention and admiration. Sounds about uh, right. Yep. So because he pleaded guilty, he did not have a trial. So that bypassed that entire thing. On uh, August 18th, he was sentenced. Um, and during the sentencing hearing is when the victims and the victims' families made their impact statements. So when I say victims and victims' families, victims as in um, obviously, you know, um, Catherine Bright's brother. Yeah. He was able to make a statement in that way. Um, and as well as uh, the five year old boy oh, no. 
through all of this for decades. Um, he's considered a victim too. I mean, the, I mean, the families are victims, honestly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, during this time, Raider could be seen shedding tears. So that's kind of like a, a facade um, that I feel like, you know, any kind of psychopath puts on to mimic emotions. Of course it um, is. However, um, after all of the victim impact statements, he proceeded to give a 30-minute monologue describing, described by um, prosecutors as an Academy Award speech in which he basically um, considered himself a victim. He would say things like, being a serial killer is not easy. BTK was then sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences at a minimum of 175 years without the possibility of parole. He now spends his days in El Dorado Correctional Facility in solitary confinement. Wow. Oh, I'm so sorry oh that it's so hard. Yeah. He's um he's oh literally a fucking idiot. And would say things like would say things like, I'm so sorry to the victims. I wouldn't want this to happen to my family. So why the fuck did you do it? He's you know? so infuriating. Yeah. Um, so he now spends his days at El Dorado Correctional Facility in solitary confinement. Thank God. And, um, unfortunately, unfucking fortunately, he was granted use of TV magazines and other privileges in 2006 for good behavior. Good behavior? Okay. What? American justice system at work. Serial killers yeah. should never be allowed good yeah. behavior. Like, what? Yeah. And um, he, like, he followed, um, y'all know the one from Iowa, I believe it was? Yeah, uh, that whole thing in Iowa. Yeah. He, like followed that one. He followed Idaho. Recent Idaho. Yeah, Idaho, yeah. they're one and the same. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, following his incarceration, local police began looking into murders after 1994, and they specifically did this because at the time, all of his murders were not done while the death penalty was enacted in Kansas. So they, they specifically harped on after 1994 to try to find something so that they could mm. give him the death penalty because that's when it was brought back in Kansas. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Were they ever <laughs> able to find anything? No. So unfortunately, they were not able to find anything. However, um, they believe that dozens of other people were stalked and researched. Um, during a police interview, Raider confessed that there are a lot of lucky people. Wow. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he, I half of me is surprised he hasn't boasted about it, and then the other other half of me is like he's probably not doing that because he knows the death penalty is back on the table. Yeah. Yeah. However, he he did mention um he I can't remember when he mentioned it, but he did talk about how he thought that he was just going to be hanged, and then he was like, "But I guess they don't do that anymore." So he just doesn't know anything. Yeah, so he doesn't fucking know anything. He thought he was going to get, uh, I mean, you know, whatever. Um, that's a whole other tangent. If he fesses so, up, he would, but... So um, then the judge obviously granted his wife an emergency divorce, meaning that he waived the normal waiting period. It literally took five minutes. She's oh. like, me well, wait this thing. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bad. all right. So now you're probably wondering what the fuck could have happened to get to this point. Okay, so literally in psychology, one of the most debated topics is that of nature versus nurture. Oh, okay. So nice. it's a huge debate in psychology because nobody ever knows, like, if something was done in life to bring it or if it was something that's genetic. Okay, that's yeah. basically the, the predisposition for it. So um, his childhood, so Dennis Rader, 
He was born in March 9th, 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas. He was the oldest of four brothers and grew up in Wichita, Kansas, um, where he spent the majority of his childhood attending church and participating in Boy Scouts. His parents were both hardworking individuals, and um, he was actually a shy and introverted child, often struggling to make friends and connect with others. Okay. I mean, it's pretty somewhere here. Um, as he grew older, Rayer became inc- increasingly fascinated with violent and sadistic behavior, often fantasizing about hurting others. Oh, don't tell so, me you hurt animals. That's one of the three. What is that thing called? Do I need to tell you to close your ears? <laughs> this no. is a trigger warning, people. <laughs> no, but what's that thing called? It's like the something trifecta or whatever. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I have, I don't... I don't it's, think I've ever seen that, but it's called look something. It I'll have to look it up and like say it in the next in the next episode or something. Yeah, like we're that. gonna start the next episode and be like, oh I yeah, remember. I way. Yeah, no, but <laughs> it's called something, and it's it's something trifecta. They named it, and I can, I literally cannot remember what it, what it is, but it's hurting animals, wetting the bed, and um, I think it's arson, Ooh. or like arson in a way that's like plant like. Maybe not. We can see something. Um, So, yeah, it was um, he would later recall incidents in his childhood where he engaged in animal cruelty, including killing of stray dogs and cats. Um, While he was on the phone with, uh, once again, Dr. Catherine Ramsland, he actually talked about a moment that he said stood out as a staple for his deviant tendencies. When he was a young boy, his mother actually got her hands stuck in a couch and during like I'm, okay so i'm picturing it as like a pull-out couch so she got her hand stuck in it and during this moment he recalls enjoying the terror on her face as she struggled <gasps> ew whoa. so you know she was like get your father get your father and he's sitting there like no like what the fuck okay so. i i looked it up really quick so you don't have to wait the mcdonald triad and i was right wow. it was bedwetting fire setting so arson, I guess, but not to the extent of lighting an entire commercial building on fire. But anyway, and yeah. animal cruelty. Okay. Good to know. So um, then, uh, yeah. So once again, um, throughout his former her, his formative years, he grappled with a sense of inadequate uh, inadequacy and a desire for attention and control. Um, he then went on. Um, he served in the Air Force first off, which is just, this is about to get real wild, y'all. So he served in the Air Force from 1966 to 1970. And he would then, once he got back, he would go on to study at Wichita State University, where he got a degree, a Bachelor of Science in the Administration of Justice. Okay. Wow. So he should know how the law some like works. It's he always invincible. Um, so prior to this, um, once again, uh, like I talked about, he served in the Air Force. And then shockingly enough, Ray then secured a job um, with the security company ADT, installing security. Wow. He is yeah. absolutely just... Yeah. And the time span that he was there was from 1974 to 1988. Wow. Okay, that is literally the brunt of his time that he was murdering. He's okay. That is insane. And it was said that a lot of the houses that he would go into were were homeowners that were 
scared and fearful of BTK, right? So like just absolutely fucking wild. Yeah, of course. So then similarly to that, he was also a census field operations supervisor in 1989. And in 1991, Raider landed the position as a code enforcement officer. And many labeled him as overzealous and extremely strict, often harassing single women. Coincidence? I fucking think not. No. Like, these things, like, just, like, every, like, William, like you said earlier with the legality portion of it, like, every box is fucking checked with this Yeah. Like, it's wild. And, and the, and law enforcement had mentioned before when they were first trying to figure this out that they were like, he's one of us. Yeah. He's one of us. Um, so... He was also elected president of a church council at the Christ Lutheran Church, and uh, he was a Cub Scout leader, which he actually would go on these Cub Scout trips and leave in the middle of the night and commit a murder. And one of them specifically was um, Dolores Davis, and he was even stopped by police and questioned because he stopped off at a gas station to change. And he said that he needed to change and didn't want to change at the campsite with all these young boys around. And the cop believed it and left. Wow. But he was actually changing out of his clothes that he went to go murder her with. Wow. I am just appalled. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely insane. So uh, these facts play an enormous role in why it took so long for BTK to be caught. He fit all the stereotypes, not just that of a serial killer. He lived among the community and not and did not shy away from social situations. And that is BTK. Wow. I feel like because I feel like there's like all these little nuances and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just it. It's a wild thing to sit here and read. It was a wild thing to research. It is something that I'm grateful for that I was not, well, I mean, I was born for the tail end of it, but regardless of that fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you're not alive during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's all go watch like The Office or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a breather. Good job on the research. That was awesome. Um, Well, thank y'all for listening to our first episode. Yeah, this was a, definitely a heavy hitter, heavy hitter to start off with. Starting off with a bang. Um, Absolutely. Do we want to? I guess we should give him a little sneak peek on next week. Yeah. Do we want to talk about some upcoming episodes that we may or may not be doing? So, mm-hmm. I think we're doing an absurd recent, and I think we're doing an archive. Yeah, those the are next the, the next two. two on there. So y'all keep up with our socials uh, on Instagram. Uh, that's absurd pod, and uh, that way you can see what's coming up. Yeah, next. and all of this research that Hannah so kindly did, and also a little bit of William, um, will be in the show notes. So the the sources will be in the short show notes. Absolutely. So thanks for listening to. That's absurd. That was absurd. All those absurdities. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. See ya.